Now, welcome to the Embark mini-pod brought to you by Embark Group as we take a snapshot look at some of the finer topics from across the industry. Now, today we're going to be talking about one of the key insights from the findings of the latest Embark Investor Confidence Barometer. It's all about ESG, Environmental, Social and Governance, in case you didn't know and where have you been for the last 10 years. The question we're really talking about is, do responsible investors need financial advice in this sort of area. And joining me to talk about that is Dr. Greg Davis, who's Head of Behavioural Science at Oxford Risk. Greg, thanks for being with us. Welcome to this mini pod. And now, I, just let me highlight a couple of things that came up in the barometer that I think are rather important and interesting. Advised investors are almost twice as confident as non-advised investors that their portfolio is invested in line with ESG values. Now, 58% of advised investors agreed their portfolio was invested according to their values. And the, the, the statistics suggest that there is a bit of a gap between advised and non-advised. But I suppose the big question is, if you want to know your money is making a difference in that area, does it help to have a financial advisor? <laughs> Hi, Roger. Uh, really good to be with you. Um, an interesting question. And, and, and I think um, the answer, as with many of these things, is yes, but. Um, it does help to have an advisor um, for the simple reason that this whole field of ESG is relatively new. It is still changing. It's growing. It's morphing. It's complex. Uh, the industry, frankly, is still making up its mind what ESG really mean. Uh, and when we put all of that together, it's quite difficult for investors to come to this new and complex topic and know what they're getting and feel confident um, that their values are being represented in the portfolio. And of course, advisors can play a, a, a key role in that because it's their job. It's their job to understand what's in the portfolio and, and what you're giving to uh, investors. Um, the but bit comes in here is it depends on which advisor. Not all advisors are equally equipped to deliver ESG to their clients. Not all advisors are equally interested in it. Um, and that's partly because um, until recently, the regulators have just started um, pushing this and started to make it mandatory. But until recently, it's been very optional. And for many advisors, this whole ESG thing just adds an awful lot of complexity to their life. And for many, it's complexity they'd rather not have to tackle. Yeah, and, and as you say, it's not absolutely clear even what the terms mean. There's not really a kind of kite mark as to what ESG is, the accusations I'm sure you've heard about greenwashing and other things. So yeah. is it really is that part of the problem that we simply don't really have a have a standard of, of what we're talking about? Yeah, that, that, that's a huge part of the problem. Um, and indeed, I, I think the financial services industry does itself no favours in this regard because, uh, and not just in ESG and in all sorts of areas of investing, um, we, we, we like to complicate the terminology uh, and, and and make things actually rather more difficult for people to understand than easier. I mean, even if you take the term ESG itself, um, you know, it has one great redeeming feature, which is that it's easy to spell. But most people, frankly, don't really know what it means. And and, and we've looked at this. We, we've looked at data from thousands of, of individual investors worldwide and asked, which, which terms are you familiar with? Sustainable investing, impact investing, ESG investing, ethical investing. And ESG, which is the term that probably the industry uses more than any other, has some of the lowest name recognition amongst the end clients. That is pretty extraordinary, really, when you think, I mean, in the industry, how common it is as a term, 
Yeah. Is it is it that you know there isn't perhaps in, is it on advisors to make this more obvious to their clients that that option exists, or, or was it to them, was some of them actually rather perhaps it didn't because it makes their life complicated as you said. Well, we're getting to the point where there's no option anymore. I mean, the new EU regulation around this is 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 forcing the hand of advisors across the EU. Um, that of course has not quite landed in the same way in the U- in the UK yet, but it's coming. So I don't think that this is something that advisors can afford to ignore for much longer because it's going to be a mandatory part of of their job very shortly. Um, And if it is a mandatory part of your job, then I think the first thing that all advisors need to do is how do I assimilate the complexity and communicate it back to my clients in a way that makes it less complex, complex, in a way that makes it more comfortable as an area for them to address. And it should be comfortable because the whole notion of ESG is about people expressing their preferences, their values in their portfolio. And that's exactly what should make people more comfortable with their investments rather than less. Well, let's touch on the thing that I think is there in the background, that awful cliche, the elephant in the room, which is about returns, because the perception is that you get lower financial returns potentially um, with this. And I suppose it's a question of acceptance. Now, I mean, just quoting one stat from the the barometer, half, almost half of advisors overall, more than half of female advisors, interestingly, said they believe their clients would accept a lower financial return if an investment had true social or environmental benefits. But that really is a key thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, And and this is a hugely contentious issue. Um, Much of the, um, the asset management industry is desperately trying to pretend that you can do all the good you want. You can paint your portfolio as green as you like, and it will have absolutely no sacrifice to returns whatsoever. Now, I think that is possibly true for some investments. I mean, you can argue that simply um, considering sustainability must be a good thing just from an investment perspective. But there are other things where in order to really do good, if you're going to push ESG further and harder, you are going to have to accept some trade-off. Um, and and also, if you really want to do good in the world, that's the stuff that needs your help. The stuff that people would invest in anyway, yeah, well, you know, you, you don't need ESG investors for that. You just need your common or garden rapacious investor, and they'll invest in that because it's going to give you good returns. The, the point about what investors want, I think, is absolutely crucial. And it was interesting seeing the barometer data there because it exactly reflected the data um, that we at Oxford Risk have on investor preferences from around the world, which is, yes, there are some investors out there who are not willing to sacrifice any form of returns to do social good, but they're the minority. The majority of investors are perfectly willing to consider that there might be a trade-off between their financial returns and the good that they do in the world. And for some, that trade-off might not be big. I might not be prepared to give up that much. But there's a core of investors out there who are genuinely trying to go, these are two different objectives and I have to consider both of them. Um, And just one last point there, the thing that always surprises me is, you know, people who go, oh, well, investors won't accept any trade-off, you know, no one will accept a reduction in returns. Um, It's just obviously superficial nonsense because people are willing to give money to charity to do good. People are willing to accept returns of minus 100% if they're going to do good in the world. So the fact that they might be able, to, they might be willing to forego a few basis points on their investments if they're going to do good shouldn't really be that surprising to us. 
yeah, I love that line of uh, people willing to forego by 100% investment, which is, if, as you say, what charitable giving is. But, but Greg, let me pick up on something here, which is interesting between the difference between advised and non-advised clients. And it does seem that advised clients seem more interesting, more, more willing to go along with this. Is that a surprise? I was surprised in the data as to the extent of that. Um, and we need to be a little bit careful about, I think, causality and, and you know, is, is that causal or, or, or correlation? So the question is, is it perhaps true that the investors who are more focused on their broader values, on the holistic thing um, about, you know, ESG as well as financial returns, maybe they're more likely to go to an advisor and the investors out there who are really just focused on investment returns, they're perhaps the ones who are more likely to be self-directed investors and do it themselves and you know trade in and out of the market themselves. I, I don't know, but my there, there must be some something to that. But my suspicion is that that it's it's not only that, that advisors are actually helping to broaden the conversation, are actually helping investors to realize that this ESG thing exists, that we can do good whilst investing and getting returns, and that the advisors are uh, on balance a force for good here. So yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of both there. What about the the demographic variable on all this? I mean, is that that something that's important? Is it something advisors can learn from in, in sort of you know practical terms? Can can that something be drawn from that? Yeah, I mean. Our research would indicate that demographics here are much, much less important than attitudes. Uh, and so, you know, you can find people who are who are male, who are female, who are young, who are old, and you'll get a full range of different attitudes in each of those groups. The one uh, demographic variable that does seem to be particularly important, though, is, is age. Um, younger people are substantially more willing to engage with uh, ESG investing than older people. And I hasten to add, this isn't because, you know, younger people are nice and older people are nasty and, um, and you know, just about about money. Um, it, it's not about altruism. It's, it's about willingness to accept the novelty of this new area. So there is a tendency for people who are older to be more comfortable doing the good they do in their lives through more traditional forms of charitable donations and philanthropy. And this sort of, you know, funky new area of ESG investing just just, you know, looks looks a little bit um, a little bit new and gleaming. And, and we'd rather we'd rather stay away from that. So the age thing does seem to matter. Interestingly, gender, once you control for other variables, actually isn't that important. Um, men and women more or less equally willing to engage with uh, uh, with impact investing. Well, interesting. You talk about it being new and, and and funky as an area, because I mean, one of the again very striking stats from this barometer: fifty six percent of advisors claim to accurately measure their clients' ESG <laughs> preferences. Now, I mean, could one say perhaps that's a little bit uh, overconfident? Yeah, I, I I think it is, um, and it goes back to to where we started. You know, if if we don't even really clearly know what we mean by ESG. How do we know that we're eliciting those preferences clearly from from our investors? Um, you know, and at, at Oxford Risk, this is really our, our area of specialty is we we build profiling tools to elicit uh, preferences for various aspects of investing, including a wide range of ESG um, things. And we've spent five years gathering data of thousands of people all around the world to calibrate these tools. 
Um, and I can assure you that right now, um, it's not the case that 56% of advisors are using our tools. Um, and there are not that many other tools out there that are doing this. So the implication here is that a lot of advisors think that they are accurately arriving at um, their investors' preferences through conversations with their clients. And I simply don't think that is true right now. It, it, it may seem to be true, but this is a complex area. Um, we're still gathering data, we're still learning, and people's preferences are still quite malleable and, and changeable in this, in this area. So I do think that's a little overconfident. On the plus side, um, there are tools there. We've got some, some other people have, have some tools. And and where our understanding is getting better day by day by day in this area. Yeah, I mean, good, good to have the understanding. Good that client that advisors are getting there. But I suppose there's also an issue about the options, the ESG options they have to offer. I mean, uh, there's a suggestion that there's not that much confidence about the number of viable ESG options they can put out there. Yeah, and and the degree to which these options can in fact be connected to granular preferences. So, you know, one of the tools we have is about measuring um, people's preferences over the 17 United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. You know, is it poverty? Is it education? Is it gender issues, et cetera? And people do have preferences. I mean, there are people who just are strongly more e-people. I prefer uh, you know, focusing on climate change and, and, and biodiversity, et cetera. And there are people who are more interested in social issues like poverty and education, et cetera. But the thought that right now there is a product shelf out there that contains a whole bunch of variations that can be mapped to these granular preferences is, is just nonsense. It's not there yet. Um, we don't have the richness of investment solutions available to be able to reflect um, the degree of granularity that, that, that we're asking people about often. So you can ask people about 17 sustainable development goals till you're blue in the face. But often in the end of the day, you're going, well, we've got portfolio A or portfolio B, and this one's a bit more E, and this one's a bit more S, and that's about as far as it goes. So it's absolutely in an area where the industry has a lot of um, uh, product development uh, still, to be, still to be delivered. Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that there's a lot more to be done, it, it seems to me a bit of a, a theme here. As we come to the end of this particular <laughs> discussion, Greg, I mean, what really do you think the financial advice industry needs to do? What, what's the work they have to do to truly understand clients' ESG needs? Ah, well, um, you know, that one's reasonably easy because uh, we're doing that for them. So they just have to come to Oxford Risk and use our tools. Um, <laughs> yes, no, but no plug, it, just a little plug, yeah. In, 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 a, in a slightly less self-serving um, uh, response to that, uh, let me maybe respond that from, from what the client needs. And I think what you have here is most people who will go to an advisor, they will have some idea that they might want their portfolio to match their values. They won't have a good idea necessarily of exactly how to uh, enunciate those values, how to reflect them, et cetera. And they're daunted by the novelty and the complexity of this whole area. And it's quite reasonable for people in that situation to go, well, of course, I want to do some good with my wealth. But this whole thing just feels too complicated and I'm a bit nervous about it. So you know what? I'll revert to tradition. I will do the good I want to do in the world by giving money to charity and just keep my finances about financial risk return trade-offs, about, about, you know, about the money. And if we're going to unlock the middle ground there between donation and purely financial investing, what advisors need to do 
yes, they need to un- help their, their clients understand and articulate their preferences. And, you know, that's where we can help. But they also need to come with a solution and to say, because of how we understand your preferences, here is a portfolio we have built for you. And here, A, B, C, D, E, is how that portfolio reflects what you want. And if we can get clients to the point where we're not just saying, tell me what you want now, here's a whole complicated shelf, you do the the hard work of choosing. But we can start to say, um, we'll help you to to tell us what you want. And then we will come with a pre-prepared solution where we've done the heavy lifting for you. And I think that's what, what the advisory world needs to do. They need to bring ESG into the suitability of the investment portfolios themselves smoothing the path as always uh, yep. does seem to be the big thing here greg thank you so much for that uh, that is it from this embark mini pot my grateful thanks to dr greg davis head of behavioral science at oxford risk for a really fascinating discussion on a really key topic at the moment and i'll be back with more mini pots i'm roger hearing for now thanks for listening and goodbye <laughs>